0: new life, fresh breeze in our sails. I want to drop character for just a moment here and, and just talk a bit. Can we do that? Just talk a bit. I have a couple questions I'd like to ask you on Easter Sunday. First question. What is the meaning of the resurrection? What's the meaning of the resurrection to you? Does that seem like a simple question? Simple, right? Well, it's the day that Jesus was raised, raised from the dead, a bodily, a physical resurrection. His body was raised along with his spirit. It proves that Jesus is the Son of God. He has that position. He has that power. He also has power over death. And that is our hope, right? That Jesus is who he says he is, has the power over death, and therefore he can save us save us from death, bring us up as he was raised, and take us into his father's arms. That's the meaning of the resurrection that we've always heard. That's the meaning that we would normally believe as modern Western Western Christians. But it's also controversial, and I don't know if you realize how controversial it is. Sometimes we live within our own bubble, culturally and religiously and theologically. And we don't realize that across Christendom, There are so many different understandings. Christians are all over the map with this. Now, most agree that Jesus is alive, but they disagree on how Jesus is alive. What is that mechanism? How does that work? Alive, we don't know how. Ultimately, it's a matter of faith. But where can we look for guidance about what we believe, about the meaning that we attach to Scripture? And Scripture is what's going to show us. Scripture is going to guide us. Scripture shows us where to look if we're paying attention. Now, when we focus on the resurrection, we focus on the supernatural aspects of it, right? We focus on the miracle of it all. We fight and we debate over those kinds of details. What actually happened? What was the mechanism? Was it Obeying the laws of physics in some way we don't understand. I mean, I've seen all of these articles and and studies and interpretations about what it really meant for Jesus to rise from the dead. But we can never prove it historically. It's a matter of faith. These are the things that we don't know. And these are the things that we fight about. It always seems to be so. We fight about the things that we can't know and the things that we can that are shouted from every page of Scripture. We kind of gloss over those. So here we are. But the Gospels are going to show us where to look. They're showing us what is important. They're going to show us what our main takeaway should be, this resurrection. Now notice, in what you've read and what we just did here today in these narratives, The gospel focuses on the effect of the resurrection on Jesus' followers and not the resurrection event itself. You get that? Think about where the gospel stories go. They're focusing on the followers, their reactions, not on the event itself. This is a huge distinction we have to understand. And it makes us crazy because we want those details, don't we? But unfortunately for us, the resurrection happens off stage. We get nothing. We just pick up. The story picks up after the event has taken place, and it follows Jesus' friends through all their tiny, unspectacular reactions, some of which we've been hearing this morning. And so the gospel story tells us where to look, not at the miracle, but how the miracle affects our lives how the miracle affected the lives of Jesus' first followers, and how it will affect ours if we let it. And so the question really becomes, it's not whether you believe in the miracle. It's what difference it makes that you believe in the miracle. That's the question. What difference does it make? Does it make any difference at all? Does it change you in any way? Does it change the way you just live and work and eat and relate and do the things you do all day long? Or is it something that you believe and put it on the shelf and save it till next Easter? What can Jesus' friends, his first followers' reactions recorded in the Gospels teach us about ourselves and how we can understand the meaning of the resurrection? First off, it's fascinating to me Vernon just read it. It's fascinating that no one recognizes Jesus, the risen Jesus, when they first see him. Is that an important detail, you think, in scripture? You know, the gospels are really short. Novels are really long. The gospels are so short. Every word is incredibly important. Every word is essential. Every word was chosen and picked and put there on purpose because every word is showing us something that we need to know, something important. Now we wonder, how is it that they didn't understand that this was Jesus? How did they not recognize him? Did he somehow look different? Now there was something different about him. I mean, he could sort of walk through walls and appear and disappear. That's different. So was it just some sort of miraculous way that Jesus was hiding himself? from his followers for some reason that we really don't understand? If we're thinking that way, I think we're missing the point. The gospel account post-resurrection really isn't so much about Jesus as it is about his followers, as it is about us. Seeing the risen Jesus, as it turns out, as the gospels record, is not an event It's a process. It's a process of becoming ready to see the impossible. It's a process of becoming ready to see beyond just physical seeing. It's a spiritual process of becoming ready to grow new eyes, to see something that we've never seen before, from a direction we never expected before. It's a complete internal change that needs to happen. And this process is always based in intimacy. Remember Psalm 34? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Important to understand. Taste and see, not sit and think. Taste and see. Tasting and seeing to the Hebrew mind was an intimate act. We think of seeing, I can see you from across the parking lot. I can see you through my electronics from a lot farther than that. I can see you and stay really remote from you. But if I'm tasting and seeing, is there anything more intimate than what you actually put into your mouth and into your body? Which is why Jesus used that image, that metaphor for communion, for the Eucharist, that we take into ourselves everything that he is. What could be tighter than that? What could be more connected than that? This process that Jesus' first followers are undergoing as they are coming to understand that Jesus is still alive is a process of intimacy, becoming ready to actually see again. Think about their first reactions. Marian read Marion's part, Miriam's part. So here's Mary. She, he's the first one down there, comes to the grave first thing, has been up all night, buying the spices, preparing the spices, thinking about what she's gonna do, who's gonna roll the stone away. She is all on it. She is businesswoman, right? She is just motoring along like someone speed talking, like one of those cartoon characters that goes off the cliff and doesn't realize there's no ground and they keep going until they look down and then they fall. This is, this is Mary that morning. She is just, she is taking all of her grief and putting it to the side of the business that she's on. And she gets there, and the stone is already rolled away. The tomb is empty. She comes back out. She is confused. She's crying. She's upset, sobbing. And then she sees this man. Why are you crying? She doesn't recognize who he is. How could she? Wildly out of context. They buried him a couple nights before. They expected him to stay put. Wouldn't you? So who is this who's talking to her? It's a gardener. It's an, when he calls her name, Miriam, Miriam, with the inflection, with the tonality that she had heard a thousand times before, suddenly it comes to her. And then as a good Hebrew person would do with their master, she would kneel in front of him and grab him around the ankles and hold him by his feet. And he says, don't cling to me. This isn't the time for that now. But it's not till that intimate moment comes, the sound of his voice calling her name, that she understands. On the road to Emmaus, there's two of Jesus' followers. We only get one name, Klofa. We don't know who the other one was, anonymous. But they're walking about seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And on the road, they meet a stranger. And he amazingly doesn't know anything about what just took place in Jerusalem in the previous week. And so they're telling him all these details. Can you imagine this man walking along listening to them tell him? And they engage in this theological debate about what's going on. And he's telling them things that they need to know. And when they get to Emmaus, it's getting toward the end of the day. And they beg him to come in. He says, no, I need to go on. But they beg him and they finally talk him into it. And when they get into the room and they are sitting down to the meal, actually they would be laying down at the meal, and he breaks the bread and he blesses it and he passes it out and suddenly they know. It's Yeshua. How many times had he done that as their leader to break the bread, to pass it out among them at the table? That intimate gesture. It's what breaks the spell breaks them through and then Vernon read about going fishing Peter says I'm going fishing now he's not just going fishing the way that some of us might go fishing you know just for the weekend think about it when Jesus called them they dropped their nets at the shore and they followed him metaphorically what's that mean what's happening They dropped everything it meant to be who they were. They dropped their livelihood. They dropped their way of life in order to find something new that they sensed in Yeshua. What Peter is doing here metaphorically is picking the nets back up again. He's going back to his old way of life. What is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to live? He's going back to his old way of life, and it's not working out very well for him. And here's this guy on the shore. Put your nets on the other side of the boat. A time before they hadn't caught any fish, Jesus tells them to put your boat out a little deeper. Metaphoric, right? The understanding? You need to dig a little deeper. If you're going to get what I have for you, you need to go deeper. Go deeper. Jesus is essentially telling them the same thing go deeper. Let go of your rational thought. Let go of everything that you think can happen at a moment like this. Do something really absurd and see what happens. Are you willing to let go of everything that you're clinging on to, that you know that works, and do something different? And when they do, and when they realize who they think is on the shore, and Peter jumps in, as he always does, impetuous Peter. But when they get to the shore, is Jesus doing anything spectacular? Is the choir singing? Is the light breaking through the clouds in those streaming rays? He's sitting on his heels, cooking fish for breakfast. Something they'd seen him do a 100 times, a 1,000 times. It's the intimate gestures that break the spell, break people through. Each encounter, each post-resurrection encounter we see with Jesus' friends. It's these small and intimate details that break them through. It's kind of like, you know those annoying identity security questions you get, you know? What was the name of your first pet? What was your third grade teacher? They're asking you things that nobody else would know. What street did you grow up on? All those things and you're trying to remember. It's the intimate details by which we can prove who we are. Like one of those movies where you can't tell if it's the person and you have to ask them, Where did we go when we went to dinner on such and such a date? And if they know that intimate, seemingly insignificant detail, then you know they were there. They are who they say they are. The Gospels show Jesus' friends going through this process of a re-experience of intimacy with him, proving his identity to them as he does the things that they are so familiar with. And it's going to be the same with us. The meaning of resurrection is not out there someplace. Not out there in history. Not out there in theological doctrines. It's within. Just like kingdom. Of course it's just like kingdom. Not out there. It's within. It's among. It's in the most intimate details of our lives and our relationships. We are on a process of letting go of letting intimate experience convince us beyond our intellect. Put your nets out on the other side of the boat. Are you willing to move beyond your intellect all the way to trust? Trust something that you just can't understand. Because without trust, there's no change. There's no transformation. We have to let go and be willing to trust. And that brings us to the second question. If you're convinced that Jesus lives if you're convinced that he did rise on that third day, where are you looking for him? Where do you look for Jesus? Again, the gospels come to our rescue. They show us where to look. Marion read from Luke 24, when the women come to the tomb, the two men are standing there with the shining garments and they're afraid as they always are when you meet something that you can't understand. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? It's a great line, isn't it? It's also the central clue to seeing the risen Jesus. Now, I used to think that if I could have walked with Jesus the way these first followers did, then I certainly wouldn't have missed him when he raised on the third day. (laughs) really now I spent a decade a full 10 years looking for Jesus when I was first on this path and in pastoral training I was looking for Jesus and I looked in the church and I looked in religion and I looked in theology and I looked in the Bible I looked everywhere I expected Jesus to be but always in beliefs in ideas and in my thoughts because that was my training I mean, it's who I am, naturally, too. You know, I live a lot in my head. But it was also my training. It was a training that I was receiving from the church. It was a training that I had received in my entire life up to that point. I was looking for him in my beliefs, in my ideas, and my thoughts, and he wasn't there. The moment we settle on a belief, the moment we settle on an idea about God, The moment we think we have certainty about God, God is not there. Not anymore. Why? Because life and spirit are defined by motion. Living things move, right? If there's no motion, there's no life. We talk about spirit, Ruha in Aramaic. Means spirit, means breath, means wind, all at the same time. Each one of those is defined by motion. If there's no motion, there's no breath. If there's no motion, there's no wind. If there's no motion, there's no spirit. That's why in the Hebrew mind, all those were linked together into one word. It's all about motion. If there's no motion, there is no spirit. A set belief, one that you have settled on, a snapshot that you hold in your mind, is static. It's motionless. It's dead. It's no longer among the living. And Jesus is not there. Our set beliefs, the one we've really settled on, limit our ability to see reality as reality is, to be able to see God's presence in this moment, because that's in motion. We're only going to see what we expect to see once we've settled on a belief. The Gospels are showing us where to look for the risen Jesus. And they're showing us he's always in the heart of everyday life. Everything we do. Everything we see and taste and touch. And if we can't find him here, if we can't find the miracle of new life now, then we've missed the meaning of resurrection. What did it feel like for Jesus' friends to experience this resurrection. It seems like from the gospel accounts that it felt like coming home, back to an intimate and familiar experience, but wildly changed at the same time. There's that paradox, familiar and yet different. And if you know anything about paradoxes and in Jesus' teaching, you can't decide on one or the other. You hold them both in one embrace and let them do their work on you. Familiar, intimate, completely different at the same time. And for these first followers, until it became intimate, until the resurrection, until the risen Jesus became intimate, it didn't exist for them. He didn't exist for them. The risen Jesus is not an idea. It's not a thought or a belief but an intimate experience that we need to have as much as they needed to have. When a loved one calls your name, doesn't everything in you respond? Don't you feel the pull? Don't you feel the homeness of that voice? And there's nothing more spectacular than that, even if it's not miraculous. When a simple gesture of breaking or sharing food disarms us, that can open our eyes to trust. We know it's safe to eat. Jesus is always among the living, always among each detail of relationship. As soon as we decide where he, we think he's supposed to be, we're going to miss him. He is not there. We're looking for him in the clouds, and he's cooking breakfast. (laughs) That's the way it works. Right here, right now. Resurrection is the central tenet of the Christian faith. It's huge, it's transformative, it's transcendent, and it should be. And I hope that you understand that nothing that I'm saying here this morning is meant to diminish the immensity of the resurrection and what it means to us in terms of our faith. But as long as the resurrection remains a huge theological concept, then it hasn't affected us intimately. It hasn't done its work on us yet. Jesus saw his Father, Abba, in every intimate detail of life, his life and everyone else's. He called that kingdom God with us, God's presence connected to our presence intimately. His friends couldn't see that he had risen until they saw him just as present in every detail of their lives. And neither will we. It's not what you believe. It's what difference it makes that you believe. We find the risen Lord in each face and each embrace or not at all. Jesus is always in motion, our motion. Jesus is always among the living. That's us. We're the living. This is where we look, right here, right now, in each other, in relationship. When Jesus is that present, Jesus is alive for us, and not a moment before. Motion. So I think it's about time that y'all got moving. So Marion, come up and tell them how they can move.